0: Our first scripture this morning comes from John chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. And John writes that the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. For as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. And at first, his disciples did not understand all this. It was only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. So, Hosanna means save us! Save us! The language of Hosanna is the language of messianic confirmation. Those who were there were declaring that Jesus is the Messiah, but he wasn't the Messiah they thought they were getting. Chances are, those who were gathered there with palm branches waving and cloaks on the ground were saying, save us, save us from Rome! Those no-good Romans have been here. They've been giving us their grief. Save us from them. But as is so often the case when we pray sometimes we don't know fully what we are praying for. We ask for deliverance and God delivers us beyond what we have asked or imagined. We ask for peace and He gives us a peace that is greater than what we expected. The people were expecting Jesus to be this political figure who would help the Jewish people rise up Knock the Romans out of the city of Jerusalem, so that they could have, uh, so they could have their own uh, ability to govern themselves there in Judea. Save us from Rome was what they asked, but save us from sin and death is what they received. Has anyone else ever been there? And this is one of the things that typically you don't notice at the moment. We pray these prayers that that we think will give us what we want, and we don't get the answer that we're looking for. But only on the backside, as we look back, do we see that God has answered our prayers and answered them in a way that is greater than what we could have imagined for ourselves beforehand. This is what the disciples experience here. It's incredibly interesting to me that John uh, records it in this way. In, In verse 16, John tells us that at first, the disciples did not understand all of this. All the messianic promises, you know, Jesus coming in on a donkey, the way he's fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. They didn't understand all this at first, but it was only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about them and that these things had been done to him. Sometimes we need the perspective of hindsight. Hindsight. We need to get on the backside. We need to be able to stop what we're doing and turn around for a moment to look back and see what God has done. Because so oftentimes, in the middle of it, we can't fully recognize what we are receiving, we can't fully appreciate what we are learning, we can't fully grasp what God is doing in and through our lives. So on um, on Friday, we, uh, we buried my grandmother. And um, it was an interesting experience trying to figure out something to say at her service. Um, because as the only grandchild who is... In my line of work, it was expected if no one else will say something, Caleb, you will, because you do this for a living, and that'll be fine for you. Which it wasn't, but we made it work. Um, but it was—it was so fascinating to me, thinking back at the end of last week on what spiritual lessons I had learned from my grandmother because in the middle of it i didn't see any of it right like like when you are a 9 and 10 and 14 and 17 and 27 year old grandkid they're just grandma you don't look at it through the filter of now that she's gone what have i learned But there's a story in the Gospels where Jesus is getting ready to teach. And there are a bunch of kids who've gathered around him, and the disciples are starting to get worried because Jesus is supposed to be teaching to the adults, and these no-good kids are muddying the situation. So the disciples try to run the kids off, and Jesus says, leave them alone. The kingdom belongs to them. Do not suffer the little children, but let them come to me. And as I think back on the life of my grandmother and the way that we as her grandkids experienced the love of God through her, when we got together for family get-togethers, what we didn't understand when we were kids was that our parents, our aunts and uncles, they wanted to see each other. Right? It's their siblings. They've been away. They've lived in different cities. You know, we get together at these family get-togethers. Our aunts and uncles aren't there to see us cousins. Believe it or not, we are not the center of their world. So at, get, at family get-togethers, it, it would be so hard to get the attention of adults because they were doing adult stuff. And as an adult, I get that now. Right? One of the, the joys of family get togethers is that you have enough kids that they can entertain themselves and you can have adult conversations. Right? So we'd be at these family get togethers. It'd be incredibly hard to get the attention of our aunts and uncles. But by golly, grandma was always ready to drop what she was doing and pay attention to us and invite us into her world. Most of us had our first experience of cooking when Grandma said, "Hey, come help me mash these potatoes." Had our first experience of uh, of sewing or knitting or quilting or or gardening or any of these kind of very adult activities. Grandma introduced us to them because instead of pushing us away and saying, I'm in the middle of something, go run along with your cousins, it was, come and do this thing that I love with me. But as a nine-year-old, mashing potatoes with my grandmother, I didn't think in terms of, oh my goodness, she is taking time out of her day to be with me, and this is just so cool, That right? It's only in looking back that we are able to, to see the grace of God in the life of someone else, that we're able to see the grace of God in our lives breaking through and reshaping, reshaping the world around us. So something that, that you may want to think about doing this week as as we march on our way towards Easter is thinking about someone special in your life and what has been their spiritual impact on you? And then tell them. Because I think back, if if I would have had the hindsight and the wisdom to say what has my grandma taught me six months ago, I would have loved to have gone to her house and had the conversation and said, you know, you showed me what it looks like to love like Jesus and to pay attention to those that everyone else isn't. Because this is what we see in the life of Jesus. That Jesus has this incredible capacity to pay attention to those people that other people don't. It's why the, the, the big, um, you know, the, the initial claim against Him is, by golly, He eats with tax collectors and sinners! Oh, the shame! Not only that, he was murdered alongside sinners, rebels. Picking back up at verse 20, John writes, Now there were some Greeks among those who went to worship at the festival, and they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And Philip went to tell Andrew, and then Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason that I come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven said, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered, and others said an angel had spoken to him. And Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show the kind of death that he was going to die. And then the crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, You are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of light. And when he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. You know, It's, it's fascinating. Um, I, something I, I f- saw for the first time uh, this past week in looking at this text is that the Greeks who were there went to Philip. If we fast forward to Acts 8, we remember that the Ethiopian eunuch found Philip. For whatever reason, the way the Gospel records uh, Philip's interaction with people, he seems to just be a magnet for those who are on the outside who want to know something about Jesus. And I wonder, how many of us have a little bit of that Uh, Philippian DNA in us. That we just seem to be a magnet for people who are outside of the Christian community but are curious about Jesus. And if we have awareness of that, are we cultivating our ability to share the good news? Now, something to think about. Something to think about. Am I the kind of person that people who are non-Christians tend to ask curious questions about Jesus to, and do I have answers? Or do I at least have good questions to respond with? Well, that's not really what this passage is about, but I found it interesting, so I thought I'd throw it in there. Uh, so here we have... Um, you know Jesus has already rode in on on the donkey. He is getting ready to uh, teach for the final time before um, he goes away with his disciples. Um, and and we have uh, here in uh, verse twenty four this incredibly. A well known text where Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. Those who've done gardening, um, it really is a remarkable process. That you take this little tiny seed that comes in a little paper bag, you put it in some dirt, you give it some water, you give it some sunlight, and before you know it, this little tiny seed has become a plant that maybe will bloom as a flower, maybe will produce fruit, uh, maybe it will keep growing and become like a tree. But it's remarkable. That all the information that is needed for an oak tree can be found in an acorn. Uh, That all the information that is needed for a tomato plant that uh, in late August will have so many tomatoes you can't pick them all is in a little tiny tomato seed. That for Christians... The information of what it is to be the church, what it is to experience the kingdom of God, is found in the person of Jesus. That the death and burial of Jesus set in motion the birth of the kingdom of God set in motion the the family tree of the family of faith and Jesus goes on to say that anyone who loves their life will lose it while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life yeah you know, these are hard words Because I don't know about you, but I feel like I've got it pretty good. I I can't I can't bring myself to hate my life. And I wonder if there isn't something more going on here than just the the surface level, you know. Hate your life so you can love the life to come, but I think there is something else going on here. I think what Jesus is saying here is it's not so much the way God is blessing you in in this life that we should, you know, be ungrateful or that we should cast it aside or anything like that but I think what Jesus is getting at here is that our ability to manipulate the world around us and be the creators of our own reality can get us into trouble. That if we choose to love our selfish desires if we choose to love the things that bring us immediate gratification, we're going to miss out on the gift that God has for us. That if we think that what we have right now is all that there will ever be, so we should just eat and drink and be merry, we're going to miss out on the truth that eternal life is waiting and that we can experience it here and now. So um, this past week, we were talking about uh, death and resurrection in my household a lot, for uh, obvious reasons. And uh, my middle son, Sam, God love that kid. Um, we were talking about that that great-grandma Spiker is in heaven now and will get to be there forever with God. And, and Sam goes, wait. Forever? You mean you never get to leave and do something else? I'm not sure. I like the sounds of that. There are so many fun things to do. Why would you want to do one thing forever? I think that was a really insightful comment because, you know, for so long, at least as long as I've been alive. I think kind of this, this underlying assumption about what eternal life will be is that we get to float in the clouds, strumming a harp, wearing long, flowy robes, probably not even having feet because we're floating. Why would we need feet? Right? This is sort of the, the popular culture image of, of heaven. But the Bible does not describe eternal life for humans as being this sort of ethereal existence where we float and play the harp. Humans were created for life on earth. Our eternal life, the promise God has given us, is that we will live in a new earth. That in the fullness of time, old heaven and old earth will pass away and there will be a new earth with a new Jerusalem and we will live in resurrected bodies on a new earth. Experiencing what we were supposed to experience from the very beginning. This fully embodied human existence face to face with the presence of God. A kingdom where we won't need the sun or the moon to shine light because the presence of God in our midst will light up everything. And all of that comes from Jesus' obedience to march toward the cross, to march toward the tomb. and to overcome the power of sin and death in the world. Picking back up in verse 37. John writes even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in them. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, "Lord, who's believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed?" For this reason they could not believe. For as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn, and I would not heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith For fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. And then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seen. the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness." If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken, and I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. When John is talking about the leaders who believed in Jesus but were unwilling to publicly acknowledge it, he's talking about Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea and these uh, players that will come back into the narrative here at the end of the end of the gospel, but in verse forty-three, John describes what is driving them by saying they loved human praise more than praise from God. They loved human praise more than praise from God. And those are hard words to hear because by golly, haven't we all felt it at one time or another? We all have this desire within us to just be cool with other people. To be liked by other people. To be seen as in and not out. And it can lead us to failing the call of the gospel. It can lead us to living in such a way that we are afraid to publicly acknowledge the truth of the gospel. To publicly acknowledge the specialness of Jesus in human history. To live in such a way that makes us different than those who are simply embracing the ways of the world. And it plays itself out in a number of different ways and and we know them. Right? Like there will be, for example, when there is someone who is homeless, who is hungry, we see it as an extraordinary step to go out of our way to give them something to eat or something to drink. Which is backwards. It should be the strange thing that a homeless person standing at a highway exit with a sign saying that they're hungry, like, they should be just... Like, they shouldn't be there for more than 20 minutes before they have just piles of food around them. Like, it should be a a strange sight to drive by someone who is hungry and for them to have, you know, maybe a bottle of Gatorade and a power bar with them. Because Jesus is pretty clear. When I was hungry, you fed me. But it's so easy for us to buy into this narrative well, are we just enabling bad behavior? Maybe. But by golly, they're hungry. It's not our job to determine whether or not they could be doing something to not be hungry. It's our job to feed them. And not only that, how many times do we find ourselves within? Our silo of political affiliation putting up with non Christian behavior because it's our guy and we like our guy better than their guy. As best as I can tell, it's pretty much all the time. Because we don't want to make waves, we don't want to be seen as not really a true believer in the cause. But I can tell you as a fact, if Christians had been more concerned with the way we are uh, living into the call of God rather than keeping the peace with uh, our political tribesmen, both of our parties would look a whole lot different. It takes courage to live as a Christian in the United States in 2021. Because it is weird. It is weird to live the way that Jesus has taught us to live here and now. So it takes courage. We have to be willing to hate our life. We have to be willing to lose it in order to keep the gift of eternal life that Jesus is offering us. And this is why we remember Holy Week. The reason why we celebrate this week where on Sunday the people are so excited for Jesus to come and be their messiah and by Friday they are crying out crucify him crucify him crucify him is because it serves as a reminder for us that ultimately the world is not interested in the way of Jesus. We're interested in Jesus when He meets our political goals, when He makes us powerful, when He makes us feel good. But embracing death and shame, embracing the cross, crucify Him, crucify Him, crucify Him. As Christians, we celebrate Holy Week. We go through this period of time and we recreate it in our hearts and our minds because it reminds us that we are not of this world. That our allegiance is to God. It's not to the culture around us. It's not to any tribe. Our allegiance is to God. And because of that, sometimes it will lead us straight to the cross. Sometimes it will make us unpopular. Sometimes it will make us downright weird. but the gift of God is eternal life for those who embrace the cross of Jesus. So may we have that courage to live in a way that is weird, to live in a way that is unpopular, to hold beliefs that are unpopular, to do things that are unpopular because they're what we're called to then with the disciples and the saints before us, we can share that assurance of eternal life and hope in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Let us pray. Oh my God, this week we are recreating the events of Holy Week in our hearts, in our minds, and we pray that you would be within us doing just that. That we would have the courage to reflect on what it is to be a member of your kingdom. Of how that sets us apart from other members of our tribe and our culture. Lord, give us the courage to live in a way that is weird. Give us a courage to live in a way that's unpopular. Give us a courage to live in a way that is seen as antiquated and backwards. Because we trust that the primitive religion that you've given us is the way that leads to eternal life is the way that leads to satisfaction and joy in the here and now and the way that will lead us to that fullness of life in the new heaven and the new earth. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.